Section 3, Hormones Are Vilified. Chapter 8, How Hormone Use Was Suppressed. Qui bono, the Latin phrase meaning who benefits, says the motive for an act or crime lies with a person who has something to gain. Only 20% of our senior women, and even fewer men, take hormones. Outside Europe and the U.S., usage is rare. How is this possible? The bioidentical or human forms of these drugs are not promoted because they can rarely be patented to make the big money. But they work better and are safer than other medications such as statins, antidepressants, many cancer treatments, and the proprietary imitation hormones made by Big Pharma. These industry cash cows are supported and protected, while in contrast, natural hormones are defamed and restricted. Chasing profits has ruined science. To explain, here is how the Women's Health Initiative Study, WHI, was hijacked by its own authors and sabotaged patient care. This huge National Institutes of Health trial, published in 2002, examined 160,000 women aged 59 to 79. It found an increase in breast cancer for patients taking both Primarin, the horse urine estrogen, and Provera, the patented synthetic progesterone. But those who took only Primarin had a decrease in breast cancer. This proved Provera was responsible, and other trials confirmed it. The WHI should have ended this medication's use for long-term applications, but it did not. The WHI took 11 years, and by the time it was complete, the two drugs it examined were obsolete. But the study statisticians claimed they uncovered critical dangers, and the authors sensationalized and embellished their threadbare findings. Medical academics buffed their reputations by declaring that they, too, could see the emperor's clothes. The media joined the parade. Baloney sells advertising, and the public soon believed that all female hormones were killers. This man-bites-dog story still terrifies everyone. Once a bell is rung, it cannot be unrung. In the public and medical eye, hormones were branded with cancer, dementia, and other problems. One reviewer wrote that the study authors were, quote, overselling hysteria. John Goldman, M.D., wrote in Medscape, quote, The study has undermined the credibility of the research and the medical community as a whole. Abraham Morgenthaler, M.D., and others from Harvard explained how the panic was generated. The WHI reported increased risk of adverse events of only 19 events per 10,000 person years of exposure for the estrogen progesterone arm, that's Primer and Provera, compared with placebo. This means that if one woman in every generation of a family used estrogen progesterone for 10 years, it would take 50 generations or about 1,000 years to see one extra adverse event in that family. The results may have been statistically significant, but they were clinically meaningless. Avram Blooming and Carol Tavris described the study's statistical trickery and atrocious sensationalism in their book, Estrogen Matters, published in 2018. One of the WHI's principal investigators, Rusinow, had an agenda to, quote, change the thinking about hormones. Six years before the WHI was published, he wrote it was time to, quote, put the brakes on that bandwagon, referring to the growing support for estrogen replacement. 
And so the WHI authors ignored their colleagues' advice and rushed to publication before completing the study. This spawned thousands of meritless lawsuits. Blooming and Tavris cited follow-up trials showing that estrogen decreases the chance of breast cancer, heart disease, colon cancer, osteoporosis, and ovarian cancer. Women taking it live longer on average, even the ones with breast cancer. A few studies suggested increased risks when estrogens were started 10 years or more after menopause, but these numbers were insignificant compared with the enormous benefits of therapy. The WHI, including the diet trials, cost almost a billion dollars, likely the most expensive research in history. Money like this buys a lot of puffery, and their deceptions still circulate. For example, the WHI ended the estrogen-only arm of the study early because the drug raised non-fatal strokes by 12 per 10,000 women per year. However, the WHI investigators included inconsequential neurological deficits that went away in a day or two in their stroke definition. Another claim was that patients taking both Primarin and Provera had a 30% increase in breast cancer cases and that this decreased after the women stopped the drugs. This was true, but it was entirely due to Provera, the outdated synthetic progesterone. And the difference in fatalities, the best measure of disease, was minuscule. At one time, Primarin and Provera were the best we had. Use of them decreases menopause symptoms and improves overall health. For example, 40 observational trials, mostly studying Primarin, show that the estrogens reduce heart attacks by 50%. These are still useful short-term to control uterine bleeding, but they should never be prescribed as long-term hormone replacement. The WHI did not evaluate estradiol or true progesterone, which have few side effects and are profoundly beneficial. Sophisticated doctors now use them almost exclusively. Soon after the WHI was published, other studies showed that these natural substances decreased cancer, 2012 Danish trial, heart disease, and dementia, Oxford Academic Study, and likely even extended lifespan. Despite the availability of these alternatives, the, quote, legal climate created by the WHI cowed most physicians. Many refuse to take even trivial risks to help their patients. Some are afraid to prescribe hormones at all. The WHI media frenzy lasted decades. Primarin had been the most prescribed medication in America for many years and was still number four in 2002. But sales dropped 50% in the first month after the WHI came out. The most unthinkable part of the saga was that doctors instantly forgot their 100 years of clinical experience proving that hormones were safe and effective. As the WHI lunacy infected medical thought, hormones were further maligned. Estrogen and progesterone. The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, smeared these with an ominous black box warning in 2003. It said these increased the chances of stroke, blood clots, breast cancer, and heart disease. They based these claims on the hazards of industry's own patented chemicals and not the bioidenticals. Testosterone. The FDA put a black box on this as well, claiming it caused heart attacks and strokes. But reviewers refuted this, saying that it enhanced heart function and lowered heart disease risks. 
an international consensus conference sponsored by the Mayo Clinic concluded that testosterone improved health, including heart disease. Other physicians described the flawed testosterone studies that were cited to contrive the warning. The FDA requires labels saying testosterone is contraindicated for men who have had prostate cancer. This is not true either, as articles in ScienceDirect.com and the Journal of Urology attest. Thyroid. Inexpensive pork thyroid extract has been prescribed safely since the late 1800s. But the drug industry claims their synthetic T4 is superior. Pharma gives the Endocrine Society millions of dollars a year, so they recite this party line. Since T4 is missing a critical ingredient, many patients have inferior results using it compared to those who take thyroid, which has both T3 and T4. Growth hormone, HGH, was rumored to cause cancer by the FDA in 2020 and others. A study of 6,840 patients refuted this. Regulations made the medication hard to prescribe or possibly even illegal, and proprietary manufacturing made it phenomenally expensive. The same sports doping issues as testosterone have tarred it as well. Although the economic free-for-all impedes genuine science, over 50 years' experience suggests that this could be the safest and most effective hormone for overall health. True progesterone has many virtues, including relieving anxiety, promoting sleep, and suppressing cancer. But its use has been thwarted with an absurd narrative. Since progesterone protects against uterine, that's womb, cancer, gynecologists, and some others had the clever insight that it is not needed for women who've had a hysterectomy. They would deny progesterone's benefits to the full third of U.S. women over 50 who have had their uteri removed. This fatuous story somehow persuades many doctors. Insulin. No one could ever pretend the most indispensable medication in history was harmful. But a proprietary manufacturing process was invented, and the prices were jacked up stratospherically. Big Pharma then gifted us with several generations of progressively more expensive products with little difference between them besides the marketing. While this happened, affordable pork and beef insulin were removed from the market. These are inferior but should stay available because some needy patients cannot afford the latest concoctions and are rationing their medications. A few are dying. Who cares about the patients? The drug manufacturers? Remember, with few exceptions, bioidentical substances cannot be patented. This makes them economic competitors for industries' profitable chemicals made from dyes, coal tar, or animals. The doctors? Big Pharma writes their studies and standards. See the journal sends chapter. The FDA? The agency is now nearly a wholly owned subsidiary of the drug makers because they feed it the vast majority of its budget through user fees. See the FDA chapter. The media? The press says, if a story bleeds, it leads. Translated, their mission is to use sensationalism to sell advertising. Little integrity remains. The bulk of their stories are extreme, negative, poorly researched, and even hysterical. An estrogen tail without a breast cancer hook gets buried. They deride testosterone as nearly an evil twin of street methamphetamine, and their news about sports usage is malevolent. Contrary to all this, 
the scientific evidence backing hormone replacement is robust. Our century-long study of the human endocrine system taught us how hormones function in the body, and our experience using them is enormous. Thyroid has been supplemented since the late 1800s, insulin since 1922, and testosterone since 1935. Estrogen was developed in the 1930s and human growth hormone in the late 1950s. Our background with these medications is as comprehensive as any used in healthcare, and we have thousands of observational studies confirming their efficacy. What is happening now? Most mainstream doctors, including endocrinologists and the rest of the internists, continue to say these benefits are modest or even unproven. They parrot the industry and FDA claims that hormones increase cancer, blood clots, and heart disease. They use inadequate doses or refuse to prescribe these medications except insulin and thyroid. Many say that hot flashes, depression, muscle wasting, and declining sexuality in older people are, quote, healthy aging. They believe that the average hormone blood levels seen in seniors are appropriate. Hormone doctors have broken away from this thinking. They specialize in treating age-related hormone decline and mostly prescribe the bioidenticals. Although replacing hormone deficiencies is state-of-the-art, it is not a novel principle. It's an established, venerable idea that was first pioneered in the 1800s with porcine thyroid. Later, insulin was used, and then estrogen, testosterone, and the others. The patients, like most doctors, were fooled by the WHI and the subsequent FUR. Many women stopped their hormones. Some decided not to start and missed the critical time in early menopause when they have the most beneficial effects. This created millions more medical problems, including Alzheimer's. Doctors have a nearly religious belief that randomized controlled trials, RCTs, are the, quote, gold standard for medical proof. Few exist for these medications, so how can these claims be true? Follow the money. The drug makers seldom study natural substances because they can seldom be patented for the monopoly advantages. In contrast, for proprietary drugs, profits are colossal, expensive trials are bargains, and there are overwhelming incentives to game the system. So, quote, science is designed to make the patented ones look good and discredit the bioidenticals. Here's how RCTs are supposed to work. During a study, neither doctors nor patients are told which is the drug and which is the sugar pill. At the end, the results are unblinded, and the patients who are taking the active substance are compared with the other group. Statistics are used to examine the results. If a medication works better and has fewer side effects, it is judged a success. The drug maker then presents the information to the Food and Drug Administration for approval. If they grant the company a patent, the drug maker starts printing money with their new medication. For decades, with the cooperation of the FDA, the drug industry has spoiled the validity of these studies. The hoaxes they used include biased patient selection, frauds during the study, deceptive data interpretation, a rubber stamp approval process, and universal drug maker ghostwriting for the medical journals. This has made the current RCTs garbage in, garbage out. By now, doctors cannot decipher what works and what is bogus. 
Surprisingly, only a few physicians and scientists are prosecuted out of the multitude who commit these blatant public misdeeds. For proof of all this, see The FDA Protects the Big Drug Companies chapter in the last section and Ben Goldacre's book, Bad Pharma, published in 2012. Controlled trials are designed to ferret out statistically significant differences between placebos and active medications. Even if studies are performed without cheating, a rare event now, these differences are almost always minute. This means that, despite any claims of statistical significance, the medications that were examined are useless or nearly useless. But so much money is changing hands that profitable, quote, therapeutic breakthroughs are publicized all the time. For example, statin anti-cholesterol medications were FDA approved based on tiny numbers that suggested benefits. But statisticians on company payrolls cooked the figures and claimed the statins were justified for nearly everyone, and they became phenomenal bestsellers. The reality They are marginally useful for a single-digit percentage of those who take them now and a net harm for the rest. For the story of how drug makers trumped up statins into today's financial colossus, see Butchered by Healthcare, my first book. Even a half-blind mathematician in a drug company's dimly lit basement understands that an RCT is unnecessary to determine whether putting a dislocated shoulder back in place works. Even a raise or a larger salary cannot motivate most researchers to deny such an obvious truth. I am wrong about some of them because they are part of the chorus denying the efficacy of hormone therapy despite the staggering evidence that proves it is beneficial. Should we throw everything we learned over the past century out and trust the WHI media storm? I think not. Should we believe the FDA? Most of their funding comes from pharma. Do doctors protect their turf as the night follows the day? Should we trust the internet information scrum? That was rhetorical. When corporations do studies, they look under the money tree rather than the tree of science. Patients are not their top priority. As you go further into the story, always ask yourself who benefits. Industrialized healthcare is always the winner. Their entitlement has become more obvious and their crimes more flagrant during the COVID era. 